This is Mango and Peppers. We are a podcast talking about current events and pop culture with spicy sprinklings of Asian American and Pacific Islander topics. This podcast is part of your soul's daily recommended nutrients. Yeah, so Z, you should tell everybody what new term you created. Oh my gosh. Okay, so it wasn't something that I thought really hard about. So if someone's like, I don't get it, I'm sorry. It's just something that just like came naturally to me. But I have a new hashtag and the hashtag is um, messy but with a capital H, so H-M-E-S-S-Y, for like, you know, a very specific type of messy, which is me. I'm, I'm, I also consider myself hashtag messy or like, you know, and, and it's supposed to be like uh, a contracted word between, um, Mong and messy. So it's a very specific type of mess, which is a Hmong mess. And so, you know, I'm I'm a Hmong mess. I'm I'm hashtag messy. Yeah. Capital I'm, H. I'm hashtag messy too, and my apartment is as well. <laughs> as you could <laughs> see, see, as you can tell, I have like my makeup on the ground everywhere. Um, and you know, that's just that's just how it is. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, we've been gone for probably like a month and a half. Um, we've just been really busy here in the Twin Cities, and so unfortunately, just didn't have the time to record an episode for you all. But we're back at it now, um, and really excited to continue to introduce you all to people that um, we know and love in the community and hope that you will know and love as well. So yeah, that's, that's what's, that's the quick update on us. Um, But so yeah, Z, why don't you tell us what's been happening with you? Yeah. Oh man. So much. Right. D. Um, Also like, I I just wanted to give a big shout out to a lot of the people who um, maybe didn't know us in person, but you know, you are in the Twin Cities area and uh, you showed up and showed out to a lot of these, um, you know, gatherings, these protests that were happening all over the city. I think we're, I'm just like, you know, wanting to express like my gratitude for all of that. Um, I'm sure as a lot of people know, or maybe you don't know, but Dee and I were doing a lot of the on the ground um, mobilization. Like we were um, supporting a lot of on the ground mobilization efforts. And so it was really just heartwarming and, um, really beautiful to see so many people gathering. And I know that a lot of you who are listening might've been a part of the, uh, those crowds and maybe, you know, we weren't able to, um, see everyone. Um, and, but I just wanted to express my gratitude there. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of things that I've been up to, Dee and I were talking and we felt like these days the headlines are um, pretty you know, heavy and pretty obvious about what's going on in the country. Like, I don't think there's, there's, there's any way to really like, um, any way around it. Like we know what's happening in our country. And, you know, in this episode in particular, we go into it a little bit. Um, but for this uh, beginning portion, D and I really just wanted to check in. And so um, we thought that we would do like our personal sweet and salties um, for, for this episode. Um, and I just feel like I've got 
like a decent amount of time the last couple of weeks to get back into like a normal rhythm. Um, there's still like the like random evening Zoom calls and stuff like that, but um, I'm really excited to finally um, charge my Kindle, which has been dead for like two, three months now. And wow. yeah, and I'm going to like start reading some ebooks. I just got an email notification for uh, one of the books that I had on hold from the library. Ooh. And and I don't know about you, Dee, but I get really excited about those when I get like email notifications like, oh, this book that you put on hold is now available to borrow. I'm like, oh, shit. Cancel all my plans. <laughs> I have a new book to read. Um, but yeah, so Ocean Vuong's um, Night Sky with Exit Wounds. I don't, have you read that, Dee? I have not. I mean, what, what is that book about? Um, that's a good question. I believe it's um similar to on earth where on earth where briefly oh my gosh i cannot talk my like um my moan accent is coming out for some <laughs> reason like i don't know if you heard but i didn't say earth i said earth oh earth yeah with it with the, yeah with the f <laughs> yeah so my moan accent is like coming out all of a sudden i haven't heard her in a very long time so i'm like okay come through <laughs> Um, but no, uh, On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous is like, uh, I believe it's fiction. Um, it's a fiction novel based around like a son and his um, sort of like estranged relationship with his mother. Can't relate at all. <laughs> um, clearly, I'm joking. Um, and that's an episode for another day. But um, But yeah, so I think... Night Sky with Exit Wounds has like similar themes mm, around like yeah. family, like familial relationships rooted in, you know, like Asian American like dynamics between children and their parents and also like the um, real life impact of like coming to the United States as a result of civil war in Southeast Asia. So, mm -hmm. um, so I'm really excited to read that. Um, like Ocean Vuong is such a strong writer and I really loved um, Unearthed We're Briefly Gorgeous. So I have no doubt that Night Sky with Exit Wounds is going to be equally like beautiful and eloquent. So yeah. yeah. But yeah. How about you, Dee? What's been going on with you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, a whole lot of nothing, just like very ordinary stuff. I'm really happy that you know, it's the way that it is because I think steadiness is one of my favorites um, life stages to be in. But I mean, I guess like the most interesting thing that's happened is that I got a new car. So I am now a vehicle owner um, and I'm really grateful because, um, you know, my parents have been saving this money for me for like 25 years. So they finally were able to like get me a new car. And so, um, yeah, I mean, like when we first got it, I felt like my dad treated it better than 
he's ever treated me. I'm just kidding. But (laughs) I'm just kidding. My dad is a great guy. Um, But no, he was like really on it. He was like, girl, there's some scratches on the car. Like, I don't know if you want it. Like, you know, and I, I mean, I will say for a little bit, it was stressful because I feel like making any large purchase with your parents is always going to be stressful. But again, I'm just really grateful that they, you know, had the capacity to save up money and they were willing to give that money to me just to gift me a car. And, you know, I was talking to my sister about this because, um, like I said, I think they were just, they were overly stressed about it. I was overly stressed about it. And she actually put it into like a really good perspective. And she said that for Hmong people, buying a car is like one of the best things you can do because, you know, it shows like financial stability. Um, it's like offering a tangible thing to your children. And so there, she was saying like, you know, like maybe mom and dad are just really in their feels right now because they're just really excited for you. And this is how they're showing it and I was like you right you right and so yeah I mean all that to say I got a new car so if y'all see me on these streets y'all might want to avoid me because I'm not the best driver so (laughs) but yeah um but yeah I mean just like kind of in line with how we do our usual episodes um wanted to share something that I've been kind of salty about um But I mean, I feel like it's more of me being salty at myself because I just can't stop shopping. Like I went shopping once and then after that, like I just like three days straight, maybe even like four or five days, I just kept going to the store and buying stuff. And I was like, I don't even really need any of this stuff, but I just like kept wanting to like buy things and so I was just so salty at myself because I was like D you are a product of capitalism so yeah that's my salty what, for what kind of what kind of shopping were you doing D so one day I went to go buy some like new clothes for camping just like some new gear and then that's kind of like what sparked it all so like I have like some camping stuff now I just have random outfits and so I'm just and then I like went to Ulta and like bought all this makeup stuff and all I really needed was like one thing so um yeah I'm just buying it like I said on a bunch of shit really so well I always say treat yourself. So <laughs> that's your Scorpio coming through. <laughs> I know. I mean, we ha- we you know it's been a tough few months, yeah, and true, yeah. if this is the way that like your body and your spirit is telling you, then like go for it. You know, like yeah. Thanks. Thanks. What about you? <sighs> All kinds of salt. You know, like I think the empath in me and like the the Scorpio water sign in me is just like absorbing all of the different emotions and you know um everything that's happening around in the world and even like in our front doorstep right Mm -hmm. because so much is happening like centralized to the Twin Cities um and you know I think I'm just salty about the fact that I just like I mean, I'm committed to it, but like with a grain of salt is like continuing to have these difficult conversations with my loved ones about everything that's happening around us. Um, and I, I I feel like I have to do it while still being mindful and practicing boundaries that I, you know, am trying to set with my loved ones is like, how much do I share with them? 
how much do I really dive into these heavy conversations before I'm like, okay, you just got to educate yourself on these things because it's like emotionally taxing for me, you know? And, and yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm committed to like continue to have these conversations with my loved ones because that's part of the work that needs to be done to address like all of the issues that are happening right now. Um, but you know, and, and, and be mindful of like self-preservation. I'm just like, Oh man, sometimes I just gotta like say, I'll get back to you because like today is not the day to like try to have a conversation about anti-blackness and racism and like xenophobia with like my cousin who just wants to eat like rice porridge, you know, that's like a made up scenario, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you know, like, um, so yeah, just trying to walk that balance is like mm-hmm. a practice. It's not like the, um, it's an ongoing practice, right? It's not like this, like final destination. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And I'm sure you like feel that with your family too, or, or maybe, Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm proud that you're continually trying to keep up the conversations and keep up with the conversations because, yeah, it's just much easier to bow out and continue to do your own thing. And so I see you. Okay. Yeah, it's not very graceful, though. (laughs) As long as it works for the party involved, you know, and it's not like violence in any way. I'm like, I'm always an advocate of letting people control the situations that make sense for them as long as it doesn't include violence of any form absolutely yeah I was like yeah, so as long yeah. as it's working then you know it's all Gucci yeah snaps to that well thanks for sharing Z um yeah and so moving on to the next portion of our show our spicy for this episode features Lili Vang Yang who is a proud St. Paulite working at the intersection of people politics and joy Being a dedicated cat and plant mom is important to her. Her weapon of choice is organizing. She values intention, pleasure, baby animals, and a good raunchy romance novel. Yeah, so catch us after the break to hear more from Lily. During this portion of the show, we just want to take a quick break to thank you for tuning in. If you have not already, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Mango and Peppers for updates. We are excited to announce the launch of The Garden, an online story platform for listeners to get your personal stories out there while choosing to stay anonymous. You can submit your story right now by going to mangoandpeppers.com garden. Now back to the show. So welcome back, everyone. Today, we wanted to introduce you to Lili Vang Yang, who is someone we recently just met, but honestly, seems like our souls have been connected in, before in a past life. <sighs> yeah, definitely. Oh, souls connected. I love that. So quick backstory is that we all recently met in the past month because we were plugged into some grassroots mall organizing efforts in the Twin Cities. Um, So yeah, even though we've all worked in some capacity in similar circles, it's actually a stroke of serendipity that we met when we did. Uh, So like Dee mentioned, we're super excited to have Lily here and I can't wait for you to get to know her as well. Welcome, Lily. Hi, that was such a beautiful introduction. It was so good. So good. All the best for you, Lily. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. I think it did. It just felt so natural and warm connecting with with you all. It was so good. Yeah. Um, well, my name is Lily, pronouns she, her, hers. I saw that your um, opening question is so good. I think, I feel like that was the thing that also helped break the ice in our initial conversation is I asked you both what your what your signs were. <laughs> uh, so for all your listeners, um, I am a, a Leo sun, Pisces moon, and Virgo rising. I just love it. I love it so much. Um, yeah, I mean... A Leo sun mixed with a Pisces moon sounds like the most grounded person in the world. <laughs> oh my God. No, it's so bad. It's like, I'm dramatic, but then I, I'm like with it, you know, but it's like just inside me. Like I, I can't, yeah. can't, can't let the world know. <laughs> but this is, this is the way to go. Like if you're going to be, if you're going to be a fire sign sun, I'm glad that you're um, moon and your rising are yes. earth and water. Do you know what I, I mean? Think, I think it really evens yeah. out. I think it evens out. I yeah. But right. I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a Leo rising and, and D is a Virgo sun. So I just feel like we're all in like good company, right? Oh now. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, cool. Well, we could probably have a whole astrology episode, but but that's not what this episode is. Um, instead, what we really wanted to do was um, connect you all to um, the wonderful person that is Lily. Um, and so, you know, Lily, I think we on Mingo and Peppers really um, try to hone in on our personal stories and our upbringings. Um, something that Dee and I are both really passionate about is that although we are both Hmong identifying we have had like very different upbringings and you know I think Hmong people in general as indigenous peoples like we are not a monolith and that's um kind of this silo that we want to continue to like break like break out of and you know remind all of our listeners that like we're all so unique and so diverse and so um could you share a little bit about like what was your favorite aspect um what's your favorite aspect about about being Hmong and then also what's like a profound childhood memory of yours yeah yeah I I when I saw those two questions I just was like oof that's so good um, you know, I think I'm going to answer the profound childhood memory, and then maybe that will lead to my favorite aspect. Um, so I, the memory that came to mind pretty immediately is uh, my mom once had a blue van. It was very rusty. I remember, like, picking off the rust in, like, parking lots and in the driveway. Um, but that van, the back seat would, like, fold down, and there were grooves for, like, that would hold food, and there was, like, a little cup holder and trays and stuff. And I remember going to the flea market and grabbing steamed rice rolls and fish and egg rolls and papaya and, like, all the good food and then parking um, – at parks and, and eating it um, together as a family. And the reason that is so profound is it just speaks, I think, to like the sweetness that I that I feel around being like Hmong and um, also just like the deep sacredness that, that comes with it. I think that our history is so, um, it's so like, it's just so incredible and filled with stories of like, strength and comfort and like it's deeply generational and to me all wrapped up it just is so 
there's just like a, yeah, it's just really, really sacred. And I think that that helps me feel very grounded to my community. And like, that's like a journey in of itself. Um, I think the journey of like becoming more among, um, but I don't know. I just feel so like lucky and blessed and very honored to be among and that there's just like a sweetness to it. That's so like, I don't know, just something else. It is something else being among. I hope in my next lifetime, I'm also among. Ooh, same. Yeah, I was like, I'm smiling because that story is just so sweet. And I don't know, it made me think about like the minivan adventures um, that I had as a kid too, because I feel like that is... Um, like one of the quintessential like Hmong experiences. Now, now I'm curious, like what vans we all grew up with. Cause I didn't realize like this was like almost this like quintessential Hmong American experience, you know, but I kind of love it. Um, yeah. I grew up with a Toyota Previa and it was also blue. <laughs> oh, I, I really appreciated that Lily. Also like I'm smiling cause it's just like, the way you were describing it, I, I felt like the different senses, you know, it's like, you, you know, like the sweetness and then also like the humidity and the heat of like being in a parked car in the park, eating steamrolls. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, thank you for saying that. The thing that's so funny too, it was like, I, I would be so curious to like ask my mom that, like, I wonder, like, I don't think that like, I think she'd be surprised to hear that that's, like, a profound childhood memory. Um, and I would be curious, too, to, like, it's so funny. Okay, I don't know. Well, I'm going to say it. I don't know if my mom would appreciate Well, I think she'd be fine. I remember asking my mom, you know, it's, like, as you grow older and you become an adult, you, like, you become much more curious about, like, your parents um, and just how they grew up and, like, their favorites and stuff. And I remember being younger and asking my mom what her – like what her favorite childhood memory was. And she, you know, she grew up in the refugee camp. So she talked about waiting in line for powdered milk. And I remember being younger and being so struck and being like, holy, like, fuck, like obviously very different childhoods. And as I think about my favorite childhood memory and my mom's favorite childhood memory, I just see a deep connection and that like sweetness and like the strength of our community. And so I... I'm just processing a lot right now, but that is a really beautiful and just amazing connection. And I'm glad that you both held space for me to make that in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to um, reading your memoir one day. I know, yes. <laughs> Same. Oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> are so happy that you're here, Lily. I think we, I've been like secretly fangirling for like a hot minute. Um, and so I remember um, when, when Lily kind of like came on, um, you know, in, in our like small little coalition that we were building for, um, you know, just like Hmong solidarity and the uprising. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally know who this is. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, like, like she doesn't know who I am, but I know who she That's is. so embarrassing. Oh my God. What the fuck? You know, I, I, I know.
know that about me. Like I do, you know, I hear that all the time and I find it so like, oh my God, that's so, I just, it's very, it's so like, it really messes like with my sense of myself. Like, you know, Cindy Yang is a really good friend of mine and we, um, we were, you know, we have started this like mini project, but we, we got some press in city pages and that line made it in there too that like everybody knew Lily and I'm like, Jesus Christ, like what do you all know about me? Like, oh, hopefully, hopefully good things. <laughs> so I, I just hearing you express that a lot is very just like jarring and like I know it to be true about myself and I'm like, oh, oh gosh. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's so funny that you bring that up because if you, ha- if, if like folks who are listening have not read the story that Lily is like alluding to, like, I really encourage it because, you know, Dee and I kind of like, I don't think we like officially broke it down on the podcast at all, which I'm like really surprised by, but also Dee and I are both like really politically engaged. And so I don't think like during that time we had the capacity to like record a full episode because we were like literally in it. Um, but But yeah, like, you know, we, I think we mentioned a little bit like in the Twin Cities, like this past election cycle, you know, for the first time, there were like two Hmong women who were running for the same city council position. And um, Dee and I were just like, wow, this is the world we want to live in, you know, like, um, so Lily and Cindy were um, quoted or interviewed for, for that story. And um, I, I just, again, I'm just so happy and so proud to be among women. And like, um, I say, yeah, I mean, and I know that you were like doing a lot of organizing work with that as well. And I think that was one of the things that I was really, you know, curious to learn more about your work in Lily, because I know that you do it professionally and know you do it as like on the side. And so I'm um, just wanting to hear a little bit more about what that journey for you has looked like. I did not think that I was going to work in politics. Um, I, you know, it's like I am the oldest daughter, um, took care of my siblings growing up, like loved care work, really thought I was going to be some sort of educator or social worker. Um, and then just like, you know, I, I fucking hated college. I just really fucking, I fucking hated it. Um, so many things about it. And I was just like, I can't do this. I love myself too much. And there are like actually different possibilities. Um, and that was a really, it felt like such a big risk because, you know, it's like, I'm the oldest. My parents also didn't go to college. I, I just was like, fuck, like, what, what do I do? Um, but I had to do something. Um, so I was, uh, you know, I was a nanny and a doula, um, and then needed something more. Um, sorry. And I I should backtrack and say that I was in community college where I got very activated around student activism and student, well, like student activism via student governments. Um, and then got really burnt out doing that work, which is how I, I went into care work. Um, But then when I was in care work, I found, you know, it's like I found a lot of rest and comfort there and then also just was hungry for something more. So I went back to an old boss and then, you know, he, he just gave me, he just like gave me this understanding of like, actually what I was trying to do in student activism was organize. Um, So I should go be an organizer. Um, And, you know, there's like community organizing, electoral organizing, et cetera. Uh, But then I fell into, well, I I applied for... um, at the time, Melvin Carter for St. Paul mayor for that campaign and was, I like knew of the dynamics of that race, but I didn't really like know, no, um, but got to be a field organizer, got to help, um, run the fellowship program there and fell 
just fell in love with organizing. And then I was so lucky. I got to be on the transition team and the and then on the official side. So worked for Melvin at the city of St. Paul as a policy associate. Found out really quickly that I also really fucking hated the official side. Um, and then, you know, now I am um, I'm staff at Take Action Minnesota, where I'm in a variety of where I've been in a variety of roles, but all have had a component of organizing. And then, um, you know, as like professional work, but also do organizing on the side. Um, I'm on the board of Our Justice. It's the oldest, I think, abortion fund um, in the Midwest. And then I also am a member of Written Restore, which is the police abolition group um, in St. Paul. And so, yeah, every path to this work looks and feels different. Um, but I am very, very just honored and lucky that I got like a lot of really amazing investment, um, in particular from, from women just to help encourage me into this work. And, you know, it's like, I hate to love it, love to hate it. Organizing is hard and organizing is beautiful. And like, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. Gosh, Lily, everything you say just like warms my heart. Like I swear. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but with that, I guess like, you know, how do you self-care, especially when all of these things are very important to you? They are very emotional. Sometimes it's very emotionally charged. Most of the time is emotionally charged. And so yeah, just curious, like, what does it look like to take time for yourself and to heal from all of this work? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think I'll answer it in two ways. Um, you know, I think that as Hmong women, I hear, and as women, women of color, I hear the word resilience being thrown around a lot. And a definition around resilience that was just like life-changing for me um, was given by Sujatha, who works at um, social movement lab or movement innovation lab, something like that. Um, it was a beautiful experience that I, I got to be a part of that really um, challenges folks on like innovation and imagination. Um, but the way Sujata describes resilience is it is the ability to bounce back to purpose. And that was life-changing for me. Resiliency is the ability to bounce back to purpose, not grit, not endurance. And I was like, holy shit. When I heard that, it just released like all these things for me. You know, when I think about the work that I'm doing, I am not grounded on like, I am grounded on um, like, does this fulfill my purpose as a human being? You know, and I believe that our purpose as human beings is to care for each other and ourselves on the earth. Um, and so like, I, I would not say like, I move away from like the working hard and productivity language now. And I love that. It's like, it makes me feel so much better. Like I feel less like tethered to capitalism. And I think that that's very important for my ability to be sustained in this work. Um, so I think that's one component that has really helped me um, engage in like more self-care and love for myself. Um, and I think another thing is, you know, when I first started organizing, I think I really did it from a place of like rage and hurt around my community, around me, around like the trauma that I endured living in the systems um, that, that we did, you know, and then that is so, that is so unhelpful and that is so unproductive and like it doesn't feel good. And I wasn't using my rage, I think, in a way that like was productive. And I believe that rage is like a sacred and profound feeling and that it is helpful. But I know that in the way it was just like harmful to me and other people. And I actually see, I, you know, I think a lot of people in organizing um, do their organizing from a place of rage and then it like 
it actually then like imparts the same um, things that we're working up against. Like I feel like it reproduces white supremacy. I feel like it reproduces gender violence, um, harm, et cetera. And then when I moved from doing my organizing from a place of rage to a place of deep healing and love and abundance, it was like fucking life changing again. I was like, this work is sustainable. I see myself in this work. I see other people in this work. I like sit with things. I am able to deeply hear what other people are saying. And so I feel like those two things combined just gave me the ability to like, just move through this work in a way that feels a lot better. Um, and I, you know, I really hear people in that, yeah, this work is like fucking exhausting. I, I, I like know that I believe that I like experience in it. Like I don't want to negate people's experience. Um, in this work because it is really, really hard. Um, and I feel like now that I have those two like frameworks combined, I, I just move differently. The work feels when I hit the hard stuff, like I'm able to navigate it so much better. I have relationships in place that hold me. I have my own practices. Um, but but those two things in particular were very, very life-changing for me. Yeah, for sure. I just really appreciated that, um, Lily. I feel like, especially because the word um, self-care has been kind of like co-opted into a lot of conversations that are rooted in capitalism, right? Like people are like, oh, I go to the spa or like, um, you know, it's it's like what you just shared is, is so so beautiful and I just really appreciate that and um yeah I'm totally going to like tattoo that resilience definition like on my face or something just like maybe yeah yeah that's so good I might do it backward so that when I look in the when I look in the mirror I'm like that's right that's you like (laughs) that was so beautiful thank you so much um yeah, I and and you know, um, I think that grounding is a, a, also so important because the reality that we live in right now is like, in addition to the, the like global pandemic, there's also you know this international uprising that really started um, here in in the Twin Cities, you know. And so, what has organizing in this political moment been like for you? Oh, it's been something. Uh, you know, I mean, where do I even start? You know, it's a little, it's a little different, I think, from, you know, it's like I'm trying not to negate my own experience, and it's like I need, you know, it's like I get to do organizing as my day job. Um, There are many, many organizers on the front lines that were like, that are not compensated for all the badass organizing that they did. Um, So I think, you know, that's like one thing that I like, I think it's important to honor, Um, you know, so like, you know, take action. Um, I am lucky in that I was really just released to do community organizing. Um, So since I'm part of Restore, um, I did, I did a lot of that work. Um, I think we really supported our friends across the river, um, you know, when as Midway was also being burned and as people were also doing um, protests and stuff in St. Paul, we had jail support going on for the MC County. Um, Written Restore was uplifting safety needs and distribution efforts and, and that sort of stuff. And then, you know, that, like that coalition of people, they're just fucking amazing community leaders. And so, um, yeah, like heading up distribution efforts, thinking about safety, um, 
on the west side, they had um, amazing community um, safety patrol efforts. Um, it was just really, really beautiful to hear about. Um, and then as our justice, um, we put plan B at distribution sites. You know, we're leaning into the world that we want to um, build. And I think this is an opportunity for that. It means, um, you know, I believe in a world where plan B is available everywhere. It's free. Um, so we're able to move that. And then our justice had this really amazing fundraising effort um, for other, for other um, organizations. So, you know, I was like involved in that. And then that's like, that's like one piece of it. But I also think the piece is just like engaging in my own work and my own like and challenging myself and growing on like, what does abolition look like and feel like in my own life? Um, and then how am I talking to other people about that? So having conversations with my mom, with my friends, um, wrestling with all of that. We're also in a moment where we're talking about um, sexual sexual assault, sexual harassment, rape culture, misogyny um, in the Twin Cities. And so continuing those conversations with loved ones. I think activism and mobilization and organizing can look many different ways to many different people. Uh, and I, you know, it's like, I'm glad that I, I got to do like organizing, grassroots work, also got to have beautiful conversations all of that yeah no as you were saying all of that you know one thing that I really thought about was some of like some of the younger people in my life who are like oh like I really want to get involved but like I don't know how to start or I'm too scared or I'm afraid that like my parents aren't gonna approve um you know um but like they have that spirit in them and so I guess like to those people and to folks in those that like that have those experiences like what would you like what advice would you give them to like get out there and start organizing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's such a good question um you know I think you just have to do it I think like as human beings we like we want to be perfect and we can't be perfect in our activism like it's that's like it just actually just doesn't fucking work that way um and like you you have to go do the work and it's through the work that you learn to do the work well and, and, and like, right. Um, right. And like quotations, there's no like right way per se. Um, but I think a lot of people are scared of entering this work because they're scared of fucking up. And the truth is you're going to fuck up and that's actually what makes you like better at the work. It's what makes you better at being held accountable. Um, and I think it's really, really important to, to like go in community and to do that work. And I think that that is alongside doing that self work. Um, you know, in order to strategy by Adrian Marie Brown, there's this talk around fractals. And I think about like self being a fractal within community. And so if we are out doing community work, we also need to be doing work with ourselves, with our family, blood and chosen, um, with our friends around um, all of this stuff too. It's like what we practice in the streets, I think we must practice in the home. And so it felt really important to me that if I am talking about abolition through my work, like how am I having conversations around abolition um, with my mom, with my sisters, with my friends. And I think, you know, I just encourage anyone that's like wanting to be involved to hold both of those things as like really important paths to um, understanding this work and then being involved in a way that's actually like more holistic and more powerful. Uh, I did want to ask a follow-up question. Um, I think, um, you know, all three of us are in community organizing in some facet. Um, and, and so some of this of like what's been shared can kind of like sound um, kind of wonk 
like kind of like wonk speech for folks who like maybe if if they're not familiar with so like i was wondering lily could you break down um like what abolition means and then also maybe talk a little bit about like your experience and being like a Hmong identifying person like how does your identity um connect back to you know like your values of abolition community organizing to me is like the act of bringing people together and along for a thing but then there's it's layered in with like building power um with like with for alongside people so I like want to be really clear about that too because I think um I think it's like confusing like uh, like people are like the movement what's the movement like the movement is all of us but it's actually like, also not all of us and like what's organizing and it's like what I just said and it's like also so much more um you know so it's like again like organizing to me is like built building power and building power via our stories and the act of like leadership development and um you know, there's like so many things. That's like maybe a more technical way to talk about it, but like organizing at its core, it's like core and I can think out of a deep love of people and wanting more and actually like wanting more power. I think that that's, you know, power is like a neutral term. It's something that we should want more of to to, to be able to, to get the things that we deserve as, as human beings. So I think like that's one thing that I think is important to say and thank you for recognizing like that wonk stuff. I think that's, that's good. Um, there's a really beautiful quote that I think about a lot when I think about abolition. It is that like, it's by Ruthie Wilson Gilmore, um, who is a black scholar and talks about abolition as um, like life affirming institutions. And so um, I think the one that is on top of everyone's mind right now is like police abolition. And so what does it look like to, and you know, it's like, I think about abolition in like two parts. It's like, what does it look like to dismantle that system, but also rebuild um, something that um, at its root then cares for people. I, you know, it's like at the root of abolition, I think, is care and creating more caring communities. Um, when I, it's so funny because, gosh, the, your question on how abolition connects to us is when people really like spark something for me, because I feel like it should be so inherent to us as Hmong people. Like it is actually so deeply inherent in like what we have done in, in our history as a people. Um, and so when I really think about abolition, I think about like freedom and care. And as Hmong people, we have practiced that all throughout our history as people. Um, and so I feel like, I, I, I don't wanna say like so natural, but it just, it was just like, this, this is the thing. This is the thing that I deserve, that my community deserves. And it is hard for people I know to get there because of like racial capitalism, because of all these systems, you know, and, and all the other systems that we're that we're working up and um, are layered that are layered to that. And it's like I see, I mean, something that has been so challenging for me is the conversation around abolition um, has sparked conversation about so many other things in our community. I was so, oh my god, I was so fucking frustrated when I was like. Hmong women and like Hmong, um, like Hmong women, Hmong trans folks, queer folks have been doing this work forever. And who are we seeing in the media talk about it? Who is getting press time? Like Hmong men, who is being the loudest voice in the room? Hmong men. Um, that was very, very frustrating for me. And we also saw, I say this with so much love, I hope our election officials know that. 
I want more from our elected officials. Like we, we, I want us to be bolder. And to me, it doesn't like, it just, I understand the constraints of a role that an elected official may be in. Um, and we need to like reimagine the way that we move with our roles in this world. Um, you know, like, I don't think that elected officials, electoral politics, like is the liberatory path, right? Like I think it's a piece of like harm reduction, but that, and that's important. But to me, I think this illustrated the really like complicated relationship we have with electoral politics as Hmong people. I think we, we often put it on a platform and believe that now we have made it, like this is the thing. And in actuality, it's not that there's, um, accountability there's relationship building there's like all of that and like i want us to think a lot more deeply about what that leadership can look like uh, yeah i just i have found that so particularly challenging in this moment is toxic masculinity wanting more from our people from all you know our elected officials in particular and just like there's so many more nuanced and textured conversations we have to have we like owe it to ourselves to have those conversations like we need to have those conversations and like you know, what I'm saying all right now might sound angry, but it's actually coming from like a deep place of love. Like I love our community and I know we are capable of so much more. And like, we can do it by like rising up in solidarity with like black and brown people. Um, and I like believe that we can get there. And I think it starts with like doing that internal work um, with ourselves, with our families, you know, within our own community. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I loved your answers. And, you know, I just kind of wanted to like reflect on some of the things that you were saying, because like, um, your first point about toxic masculinity being one of the biggest barriers in moving Hmong people. Like, um, you know, I read something the other day uh, on Instagram where um, someone was talking about how like loud Hmong women oftentimes or more often than not always get threatened by men, right? Whether that's like physical threats of physical violence, emotional violence and all of that. And to me, like, and I was chatting with Z about this, like literally yesterday, it's just like, you know, like what, like, what do we need to do to help men understand that? Like we as Hmong women will always fight for you. We love Hmong men, right? And that's why we do this work. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to hold our community accountable. And those are two very different things. And I think that at the core, like that's what I was hearing you say of like build the community that, you know, like we've always envisioned. And then like second, like your point to identity politics, that's so real because it's like, you know, I love the fact that there's hella Hmong people in office now, but I also wish for the day that like Hmong folks have the courage to be bold, to take bold stances on like community, like on community initiatives, on policies and all of that. And I will fucking back them up. Like we'll fucking back you up. Please show some fucking political courage and will, because we will back you up. Like we are hungry for this. And this to me is about the muscle of exercising accountability. It's also on us to be talking to elected officials and not dancing around and seem like I'm pretty fucking disappointed in the piece of legislation you push. I'm pretty disappointed in your statement. And I say this out of love because I want more for you and for me. Oh my gosh. And then wasn't that amazing to see? I was very, um, I was very, very struck by, you know, like very publicly, I think we would have Hmong women disagreeing on like abolition, police, any topic. And then like, I would see in the comments, a dude be like, why are Hmong women fighting against each other? And it's like, my dude. Your analysis needs more. It's not Hmong women fighting each other. It's a Hmong woman that is like standing against white supremacy and another Hmong woman that's like trying to wrestle with that. Like, come on, come on now. Um. And it's discourse. Like it's not 
malicious. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, cause it's not ego centered. It's a lot of it is just like, I don't understand. And I want to know more. And it's not like you're coming for me. I'm going to come for your family, which is like, honestly, a lot of what I've experienced as like being a very vocal person. Yeah. And so, so I'm just like, is this about like, actually abolition or is it about your ego and like you feeling threatened like you feeling like your power as like you know like a cis man being threatened by me you know yes 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 yes. well and then to me just like it really reduce it it mean it reduces the conversation around any sort of justice when we when we move it to that way which is like just like like just so frustrating and not the place that I want to lean into myself um, or as a community. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I just want to like get past the conversation where like, you know, like this is going to sound like really graphic because I can't think of another metaphor for it, but it's like, I just like want to get past the conversation where like someone's like not like trying to be like all phallic in front of me and like you know like showing yeah it's like when you're done like swinging your dick let's have the let's have a conversation because like I can't even have a conversation with you right now because you're just like man me strong and it's like are you done like (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah Yeah. oh yeah there are some dick swinging contests among politics trust me I uh Yeah. And, and, and you know what, this, this is the, and, and I, and again, because like we all love politics and we love like we're moan people and we love moan politics, like the hashtag, I'm going to coin this. I'm going to make a shirt out of it. It's hashtag H M E S hashtag messy. It is hashtag messy with a capital H for moan. Okay. But like, I love it because um, there, and that's my favorite, honestly, that's my favorite thing about being Hmong is that like, if I see another Hmong person, I just feel like we're related and, and, and it makes, it makes it so much more accessible to like have these conversations, you know? And, and I love that there are Hmong politicians because I feel, and this is why representation is important because I feel like I can literally DM the state representative or the city council member and be like, Hey, can I ask you a question where I don't know if in the past I could have done that with, you know, like a white representative or like a white city council member. And I'm like, when, when, uh, when people always ask, like, how did you like get in touch with like these elected officials? I kid you not y'all. I'm like, I literally found their Facebook and then just like DM them. (laughs) And, you know, and I love that because it's like, I, I hope that that trend continues so that, our elected officials do feel some sense of like accountability and like like when when they do what their constituents are actually asking for we're gonna back them up and then when they don't even if like they're a moan person like I pray that we love each other enough to vote them out like like truly it's like I love you so much that you've become a career politician and you're no longer like doing what our people need so like bye you know it's like yeah Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that could be a whole nother episode, man. Hmong politics is so, like, it is so beautiful and messy and complicated. And, and whew, here in there is he. It's just, like, a clarity on power. That, like, we as, like, a monkey, like, the power is not all in elected officials. That power actually is, like, a gift and, like, something that we build for and, and, and work with and, like, 
that comes from the people and that, you know, when you hear in you like DMing and elected officials, your clarity and your power that you can do that. I want other people to feel that too. I think it's also reimagining the way we see ourselves in that system. Like I want the conversation in our Hmong community to move beyond voting because like I, again, like voting is important and it's a form of like harm reduction and is like, you know, there's like many ways to different, there, it's, there are many different ways to liberation. And I want us to like expand our understanding of how we engage in these systems. Like there is organizing, there's, you know, like I, I want us to be able to have a conversation that is like the fullness of the political landscape that then allows us to honor the many different roles that people have because it's like everyone, you know, I believe that in the world, everyone has like inherent worth and dignity and therefore like everyone has a very valuable role to play. And then how do we help people find their roles with like the gifts that they have. And then I think that just creates a different sort of like system for us and in landscape. It allows us to see the worth that like our parents have in engaging in this conversation that they have like a role in this work. I, I say a lot and I, you know, it's like, I, I have to do a lot more work around this. But when I am in a political space, I think about like, can my mom be here? Can my mom have this conversation with me? And if she can, then I, I need to change the way that I am and I need to change that space. Um, but I want young Hmong people in particular to see the value that our parents have in being in this political movement with us and that we need our elders with us and that they have a lot of wisdom that we can learn from and that there actually is no way to like liberation for us as Hmong people without uh, being together and like that multiracial, multigender um, piece of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we all, I love what you're sharing, Lily, about like the different roles that we play in this like political space, you know, as someone who is like a non-voter, but like a resident, you know, in the U.S., like every election day I text D and I'm like, remember D when you vote, you vote for me, you know? And it's like, and you know, and, and, and even with like my family members who are eligible to vote, like I, I, I provide guidance. I'm like, hey, you know, like, I don't live with all of my relatives, like all of my immediate family members. And so I say like, hey, this, like, what district are you in? What ward are you in? These are the things that are happening. Like, do you have questions about this? Because I know that I'm like in this political space, and you know, and so when they like live in St. Paul, and I live in Minneapolis, and they're, you know, talking about trash, um, you know, and like how that's like on the, you know, on like the election cycle, <laughs> like, it's like, oh, they don't under, they don't really know, even though they're the residents, like, I know what's going on there, you know, when um in that arena. So I'm like, hey, these are the people that I encourage you to, like, vote for. And so yeah, we all play different roles. And and voting is definitely a very powerful one. And it is a huge, I cannot stress this enough. Like if you are eligible, you have to understand how huge of a privilege it is, is because I literally do all of my homework and can't even make it to the finish line. If you can make it to the finish line, do it for people like me, you know, do it for us who like can't vote. Um, but but for those who can't vote, like don't, um, I, I hope that like people remember like, again there are different roles and there's there's in power we um you know lily talked about how like we all should want more power you know we all need power in order to get this work done and like everyone has power you know it's and, good and, to be power hungry it's good to be power hungry yeah it is it's it's good to be power hungry so yeah don't ever feel powerless because if you do call me and i will gas you up <laughs> well 
And it's like, you know, and I think it's like as among women, we can interrogate the way that power has been modeled to us. We don't have to replicate the same systems that harm us. We can be powerful people in ways that are vastly different than we have experienced. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I I love how like this just was such a great conversation. And um, I hope folks feel activated after listening to what's happened, you know, like, primaries you know (laughs) like happening you know and so so yeah it's again gracefully boxed it's not about what you who you were yesterday and what you did yesterday you know so there's always time yeah um anything else that you like want to leave our listeners with Lily? you've you've contributed so much today i'm just like extremely grateful thank you I hope that as we, as anybody embarks on this work that is deeply grounded in love and that we are able to move in love. And I hope that in whatever action, political action, whatever, that anybody is taking that it is like grounded in a deep love for themselves, for their neighbors, for their community. Um, I think that that is a very essential place to start and that that love is a very profound guiding force. Um, and I really encourage people to start having um, painful, hard but important conversations with uh, their family, whether their family is chosen or blood family with their friends. I really think in particular with the Hmong community, um, the more stuff, you know, the more, the, the more implicit stuff we make explicit. Um, I just, I find that to be so valuable in our community. I think we need to start having those tough conversations. I think it's about deep listening. I think it's about learning and growing and finding resources. I think it's about like find, it's about following the leadership of black and brown folks. I think if we are not in relationship with like black and brown folks, we should interrogate why that is. Um, I think it's all there. And I also think it's like, there are lots of people in our community that like do this work. And I, I can't, you know, like I can't speak for all of us, but I think we're all hungry for more people to be in the movement with us. And I think that we all want deeply curious people um, to be in it, to build like the community that we, that we deserve. Yeah. Thank you all for this opportunity. I feel like validated and affirmed, which just feels really, really good. Um, and it was building a new muscle for me. I don't often, um, I find it very challenging to talk about myself and my work, but again, I'm just very, uh, very honored and appreciating the space that you have created, um, just for me, but then also for, for your listeners. I think that, um, you know, it's important that we build a sense of belonging and I hope that, um, pieces of this episode are able to do that for other people. So thank you for having me on. That is all we have for you today. If you'd like to share your thoughts on anything that was talked about this episode, or if there's a topic you would like us to discuss in the future, please feel free to drop us a line or maybe a few at hello at mangoandpeppers.com. If you like this podcast, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Mango and Peppers for updates. And remember, life can get busy, but it's always important to stay nourished. So thank you for choosing Mango and Peppers as your snack today.